0: Psalm 119, starting in verse 113. This is the word of the Lord to us. I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Depart from me, evildoers, that I may observe the commandments of my God. Sustain me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Uphold me that I may be safe, that I may have regard for your statutes continually. You have rejected all those who wander from your statutes, for their deceitfulness is useless. You have removed all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you. And I am afraid of your judgments. Lord, I pray this morning that your word would go forth, that we would be encouraged, Father, to be people of your word, people who love your word alone, that we are not prone to wonder and and to long after other loves. Father calls us not to be people of compromise, who are trying our best to be in two camps. Lord calls us to follow after You alone. Father, guide us by Your Spirit. Lord, give me clarity and help Your Word to come forth from my mouth this morning. Father, I call, pray that all of our ears would hear Your Word and seek to apply it to each and every day of our lives. Give us commitment to do that, Lord, and encourage us to spend time in your word. Help even the children here today, Lord, to hear your word and to begin to wonder what they should be doing, that they would see their need for Christ and be drawn to you. Just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <coughs> so the last few weeks we've kind of seen a progression um, with the psalmist. We've seen him moving from the need in our lives for not only Spending time in the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, and obeying it. But beyond that, making a commitment last week to obey and to meditate. Because it's not enough to to say, I'm going to do these things. We need to make it a continual part of our lives. And we see this continued commitment here in the psalmic section of Psalm 119. This is the S sound in Hebrew. And we see here the psalmist expounding on what commitment and dedication to the Word of God looks like. Beyond meditating on and obeying. Those are... Those are things that you commit to do so that you have the word in your heart, so that when life comes at you, you are digging from a well that's already within you. Well, he goes on to explain in this section a a beautiful picture, could be sad and tragic if we're on the wrong side, but... He's contrasting those who are committed to the Lord, who have a single heart for the Lord, and those who are constantly looking for multiple options, multiple ways. So he's contrasting this single-hearted man who is all about God and His Word, a love for Him, And the undecided, the evildoers, the wanderers, and the wicked. If you've if you've read this psalmic section, you see that. So the psalmist starts out to create this contrast. He starts out. He says, "I hate." Oh, come on, David. How can you say such things? How can the psalmist say this? That's not very loving right? Isn't that how the world looks at any s- statements? You know, the psalmist just doesn't like as much these people as he does the other. No, this is strong language. This is not the psalmist playing around with words. He says, I hate those who are what? This is very important because he's not just saying whomever, he's Being very specific about the people that he is going to describe. So the NASB translates these this phrase double minded. He hates those who are double minded. A a more literal translation is a divided heart. Double hearted. What does this go down to? I think it's better to think about it as a double heart because we have this idea of being double-minded in English, but it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily strike to the point of what the psalmist is saying. Because Unless you are of those who think the intellect is the center of human being, all that you draw from is intellectual, which, unfortunately, many in our world do believe that everything we derive is from an intellectual understanding. But that's not what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, every part of you, what is it that drives you as a person to do what you do. That's what he's saying. You have two drives. You're double it's almost like if you think of a car, you have two cylinder, two engines in the car. The problem is when you're double minded or, or double hearted, then one engine wants to go this way and one the other way. So what is it that drives us? That's the question I I have thought about in this. Are we one-hearted? Not literally. But in this metaphor that the psalmist is using, is our heart actually for the Lord, or are we actually playing another game on the side? You know, the psalmist isn't the only person who talks about the people of God having other suitors. We have verses that say, return to your first love, or you have whored yourself out. He even says, "The not the psalmist, but um, the prophets constantly talk about Judah or people of Israel are hoarding themselves out Why? because they they aren't one-hearted they're double-hearted they're they're constantly changing they're they're undecided they're unable to come to a decision that I will commit no matter what the cost Have we come to that place are we so committed to the Lord that we don't constantly second guess, and say, you know what, I, I love the Lord, but I think this is a better option. I want to go this route. If I could stand here today and say anything, the reason I'm standing here today is because I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a person who is constantly changing my mind. And I know people like this. We all probably do. People who, you know, they'll go six months, a year, and they'll just be all heavy high on some doctrine that's going and is popular. And then when that starts to fizzle out, they jump to the next doctrine that's running around. It's almost like a disease. You know, they they follow the diseases where they go. And before long, they have no clarity in their hearts because they're not following God, they're following men. They're following the things of this world disguised as God. But God's Word cannot be fulfilled if we are following men. We cannot, brothers and sisters, be double-hearted. So the title of my message this morning is Single-Hearted, Uncompromising. Single-Hearted, Uncompromising. Because that's what the psalmist is calling us to. That's what commitment to the Lord and His Word looks like. That's what love looks like. True love is... Committed to do what God's Word says. That's why when Christ came, He was committed. He He had one focus. I only do the will of my Father. Why? Because His heart was single-minded. He had one focus. I'm going to do what the Father called me to do. Was it easy? No. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He suffered... Physical pain that they had to create Latin words to describe the pain. Excruciating. But beyond that, he experienced the feeling of separation from the Father. The wrath of God being poured out. The wrath that was due us. Why? Because he loved. Because he was willing to be one Hearted, or single-hearted, he was not going and looking for another route. His heart was to fulfill the will of his father. And you say, "Well, how can you say that's loving? Loving to be single-minded?" Because the psalmist then says here in Psalm one thirteen, he says, "But I love your law." Well. See. He's contrasting the double-minded, the double-hearted man or woman with his love for the Word of God. Why would the psalmist love the law of God? Because he loves the Lord. Because his heart is solely in love with one. He's not a polygamist. Right? Right? He doesn't have many loves well unfortunately in his real life he had multiple wives so he was a polygamist but when it comes to his relationship to God he had one God no other gods he was not a polytheist that's essentially what he's saying right he hates those who are following after more than one God. Those who are following any other God than the God of the Bible. Now, <clears throat> is that okay to say? Apparently it is. It's here in Psalm 119. Does that mean that if someone is not following God, we hate the way that they live and what they're doing? Yes. doesn't mean just because you hate the life that they're living and, and the, the choices they're making doesn't mean you can't pray for them. And pray the Lord would transform their hearts. If you are on the fence this morning or you're listening somewhere out there, and you're on the fence, no, if you died at this moment, you would not make it. Right? Because this that's what a double-minded man, they're, they're constantly on the fence. They're not sure if they should commit to one side of the fence or not. You either be all in or all out. There's no in-between. That's why I'm even preaching today, because it could be easy to be all out. No offense to you all, but... We're not a huge group of people. We're not super popular. That's fine. But I want to be all in to what God has called me to do. As unpopular as it may be. But when you're all in, guess what happens? God is all you've got. Right? When you commit to the Lord, this is what happens. Verse 114. You are my hiding place. He's not running to the other side of the fence to find hope. Right? He's, his heart is set on the Lord. Can we say that? Or is God really our hiding place? Or, or do we run to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram to get support? Where are we running for hiding? Are we running to friends? Are we running to the world? I don't know where you run to hide when trouble comes. But the psalmist is saying, you are my hiding place. Can we say that? Because if we're double-minded, we're not running to the Lord for hiding. We're running to the other side of the fence. We're trying to get over there. Because the grass is greener on the other side. And then it says, and my shield... It's interesting, this word shield comes from a root word that actually refers to a garden. This is the word for shield, but it's interesting how in the Hebrew language that this this root word for garden became the word for shield. Why? Because the garden had a fence around it. Remember the parable that that Jesus gave? You have... This fenced garden, but then a, a hole comes in, and and the foxes get in. You remember that parable? That's that picture. They they have a tower, and what's the whole point? To keep the foxes out, to keep the the rabbits out, kind of like uh, Peter Rabbit, right? You know Peter Rabbit. Obviously, the farmer is a bad guy in that that book, but. Um, the, The farmer has a fence around the garden. Why? Because he wants to preserve the fruit that's inside. Are we willing to be in the garden of the Lord under the shadow of His shielding us from the enemy? or Are we trying to constantly jump over the fence to find a different shield? Are we willing to get behind the Lord and let Him shield us from the enemy? Is He really our hope? It made me think about military. Do we trust God's power enough to allow His spiritual um, armor to protect us from the enemy? Or are we running to the world? Maybe we're running to psychiatrists who are telling us, "Oh, that's normal. You just, just, you know, just do that." I don't know where I saw it, but I saw some someone giving advice to this, a psychiatrist giving advice about, "Well, maybe you just need to go have an affair too." It's like, that's, obviously this. neither of these people were Christians, but that's how the world tries to deal with problems. You know, if you're getting hurt, you need to hurt back. But that doesn't shield anyone. It just creates more confusion, more disaster, more chaos. And that's what the devil wants. He wants us all to leave the garden of God and find Something outside. The problem is, when we leave the presence of God looking for another love, we're trying to divide our heart. Well, you know, I want to stay... I'll keep a foot over here, but I'm going to test the waters over here just, just to see how delightful they really are. When we jump over the fence, we are taking ourselves outside of the realm of God's protection. That doesn't mean that God in His grace couldn't protect us because He sometimes does. But we're putting ourselves in a place where we're saying, God, I like a lot about You, but I don't like You enough to make You my hiding place to rest in the shadow of Your shield knowing that You will protect me from my enemies. A lot of the reason that we stop hiding in the Lord and stop running to Him for a shield is because we have to wait. And we see that here at the end of verse 114, because he says, I wait for your word. That's how he hides in the Lord. That's how he runs to Him for a shield. He is going to the Word of God and he's waiting on God to do what he said he would do. Isn't that how we know many people who have walked away from the faith? They stopped waiting because they didn't... Trust that God would actually hide them from the enemy or shield them from what was coming their way? Have we, in any way in our lives, begun to stop waiting on the Lord and started stepping foot out of the garden of God? Are we in His vineyard? Are we attached to the vine? You can't remain on the vine if you decide you want to go outside of the garden. Psalmist goes on. He, So he's talked about these undecided people that he hates. And he goes... In verse 115 he says depart from me evil doers. Literal translation, those who work evil. Those who are in the present the constant practice of doing evil. Like they are manufacturers of evil. Just imagine a factory of where evil is the product. That's what they are. That's how he's describing these people. They're constantly causing evil. The psalmist has nothing and does, does not want to be a part of that. That goes contrary to many in our churches today who say, well, I think the best way to evangelize is by becoming friends with the world. I'm not saying that we can't have relationships with people outside of the church. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, oftentimes what we describe as missionary work is actually the reverse. We become double-minded people, double-hearted, because we begin to build relationships with wicked men and women, and we wonder why our lives begin to Wonder from the garden of God. We will be influenced or we will influence. There's no in between. I can go from a a personal experience. When I was in college, I wanted to play rugby, so I titled it as missions work. (laughs) The problem is when everyone else on the team is a Heathen drinker, which I had no desire to do that. But it's kind of hard to be a witness when everyone else is not, and I'm totally um, outnumbered. No one else was wanting to be a, a Christian. No one else, you know, some of the guys tried to be nice people, but they were. Living in sin. There, there was no no desire in their heart. They just wanted to play rugby and drink and sleep around. That's all they, they wanted to do. And I realized that it <clears throat> that it wasn't good because I was afraid to share the gospel with them for fear that they would think, well, we don't want you on our team. And then eventually I realized I was letting... The sport changed me because one day I decided <clears throat> the other team did something illegal that hurt me and so I decided I was going to hurt one of their players. God didn't allow me to do that. I actually went to try to pound the guy into the ground, drop piling, which this is again this is not good behavior, okay? <laughs> uh, and when I tried, he got away, but I knocked the breath out of myself. And that was the last time I played rugby because I realized that I was playing just because I liked the sport, not because I wanted to be a witness. And I wasn't being a witness because I was too... I had become double-hearted. I loved it too much to share the truth with people who were dying and going to hell. So are we setting up boundaries in our life? Not that we avoid evildoers, but that we are not allowing them to live in our realm and constantly influence us. Are we telling them to turn aside? Look, if you're going to act like that, I'm sorry, but you can't continue to, to live that way and expect to have a relationship with me. Not the kind that they want to have, like a, a friendship. Yeah, I know this is not a popular message because <clears throat> friendship evangelism is the the biggest way apparently to share the gospel. I don't agree with that, but <clears throat> that might be one of the reasons why I'm not popular either. <laughs> but as Christians, we don't run to be a part of evil doing. You know, they, we have this expression, at the wrong place at the wrong time. You chose to be there. You chose to be there at that time. And many times that's why, what happens? The influence of those that are around you are the reason why you got in the trouble that you got into. And I'll get off that. This isn't <clears throat> completely to do with the message. It's more just some things God has been dealing with me about. So why does the psalmist want evildoers to depart from me? Just because, oh, I don't like those people. Is why? No, because he says, that I may observe the commandments of my God. Right? He cannot observe the commands of God when evildoers are his company. Just like I. When I played rugby, I wasn't cursing. You wouldn't have known that I had changed. But it was a subtle attitude issue it was a slow inward thing that was being done and my attitude eventually led to action where I wanted to hurt someone and I knew that was once I tried to hurt somebody and God got my attention by knocking the breath out of me through my own means I realized this is not of God this doesn't please God Wanting to hurt someone who most likely is not a Christian. If our company are evildoers, we will not observe the commandments of God. It's That doesn't mean that we can't work with the those who are not following God. No. But what it means is, if that is all our company, if we're constantly hanging out with unbelievers who are doing wicked things, we will eventually, if not immediately, stop observing certain commands of God because we're afraid of persecution. Afraid of being made fun of. So the psalmist says, I love you so I can't Spend time with those who hate you. Right? I can't be double-minded. I can't be double-hearted. I'm not going over that fence. So he's choosing his company well. Because he wants to obey God. He wants his heart to be singly belonging to the Lord. And one sixteen, we kind of have a, a repetition of sorts of one fourteen. He says, sustain me. And then in verse one seventeen he says, Uphold me. God is his sustenance, right? So Instead of spending time with evildoers, he is going to the Lord. Who is he spending time with? The Lord. He says, sustain me according to your word. You know, I could have everything I want if I was willing to spend time with this crowd over here. But I am going to trust and wait on the Lord and I will trust Him for my sustenance, everything I need, I can find in Him. That's what it's like to be in the garden of God. Yeah, we don't get it exactly when we want it, just like sometimes our kids will complain, well, I really want that right now. Well, you've got to wait. You want the cupcake now, but you're going to have to wait till tonight after you eat dinner to have the cupcake. But, I want it now. No, you need to wait because if you don't eat something good, your stomach's going to hurt and then you're going to be complaining about how your stomach's hurting because you've only had sugar today and you're going to be off the walls bouncing and it's better for everyone, including yourself, that you don't have that until then. Our life is Depends on it, right? Because that's what the psalmist says. The reason that he needs the Lord to sustain him according to his word is so that I may live. Do we see that? That's a a purpose statement. but that's not all he says and do not let me be ashamed of my hope why would he be ashamed of his hope because he didn't see the result of that hope right why would he not see the result of his hope because he believed a lie because he went another route. Maybe he stopped waiting. There's, there's a really good analogy that I like, and I'll kind of draw it out here. So imagine this is a timeline. and this is you know the beginning of whatever, let's say it's a trial. Well oh, that's trail. Gotta work on my spelling. Of course, it's so small, you probably couldn't have read it anyways. So the trial starts here. You go along. God has an answer right here. Right? Time is passing. God has a purpose. What happens if you stop here and you see, oh, over here might be a good answer, and you decide. You know what? I'm just going to go this way. Is it possible that that is how you lost hope and you became ashamed? You found an answer. It's not that one that God actually had. Why? Because we took an alternate path. We turned aside. We we jumped the fence. We got tired of waiting. I know it's hard. I, I've experienced it and have been experiencing it. Just not a physical trial, but trying to understand God's will for our Meganized future here and and overseas. I know it's not a physical trial, but it's still a trial where it's like, Lord, I I just want to jump off and Just settle something for myself and then just move on. But the problem is, if I do that, I miss out on God's best. That doesn't mean that God can't arrest me and bring me back into His His will for my life. But if my heart is singly focused on, I want to please the Father, just like Jesus, then I don't lose hope because... I know that he will do what he said according to his word. And I don't become ashamed because I see the result of my hope. Just like Jesus. Right, Jesus, what if he had been on the cross and right before he died, he said, you know what? This doesn't seem to be working. He said, hey angels, come on down. He could have come off the cross. He could have had a hope, but that wasn't what God's will was. He was content and truly trusting in the Lord to the point of death. And when He had been put to death in the flesh, He was raised to life in the flesh, never to die again. Our hope, our Resurrection hope is in Him. If He did not rise from the dead, we should be ashamed of anything that we believe in the Word of God because that's what the Bible is going to. But sometimes hoping in the Lord gets difficult. That's why we need Him to sustain us through His Word. And, verse 117, uphold us. So sustenance can kind of, you know, we think about food and water and that kind of sustaining. But this is a very similar word, right? Uphold, sustain. But I was thinking about you know, when, when we're getting weak and we want to quit, just like Moses needed men to hold his arms up so they could get the victory. He was an old man. Right? He, he was getting old, but those men knew that if they upheld him, then they would have the victory. Well, we need the Lord to do that in our life. The, whatever trial you're going through, we can trust him to uphold us not just provide our needs in the midst of the trial but to uphold us give us strength to finish so that this doesn't happen instead we make it and we go past that point and we have a there's a big answer to prayer right here God directs us. But we need Him to not only sustain us, but to hold us up, to give us the strength mental, physical, spiritual strength to overcome, to get the victory. The reason it is so easy to turn away, to find another option, is because as men and women, we are prone to sin. We love sin in the flesh. But God has given us His Word. And if we will wait on Him, rely on Him, we will not only see our hope, but we will experience His presence every day. Jesus experienced the presence of the Father constantly it was only when he felt the wrath of God on the cross for us that he truly experienced this degree of separation obviously we can't separate the Trinity but how how that happened I can't totally explain it but I can say that what he felt was very real Again 116 and 117 are very similar because remember he he wanted to be sustained by the word so that he could live and not be ashamed of this hope and then it says here in 117 uphold me that i may be safe that i may have regard for your statutes continually or better the i like this translation better he says that I may gaze at your statutes continually. What does this idea of gazing give us? I believe giving attention to do. I can't do your statutes award if you don't uphold me and sustain me. Right? I can't even live if you don't sustain me. I can't do your commands unless you uphold me. You empower me to do this. This is, I believe, speaking to the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The power to overcome sin. Do we believe that we can do and gaze and and really give attention to God's word in our own strength or are we actually turning to the Lord? and trusting that He will uphold us so that we can do what God has commanded? Are we spending time in the Word of God so that we can actually do what God says? Are we truly relying on the Lord for these things? It's the questions that have gone through my mind thinking about this is, It's so easy to look for other ways. If I go and call 50 people to pray for me, then then I can do this. Not that we shouldn't go together because we need one another, but are we spending all that time that we should be spending with the Lord calling everyone to tell them about our problem and never actually talking to the Lord about our problem? Do we really cry out as the psalmist is here asking for sustenance and strength to hope in the Lord and to to do His word? Again, I believe the psalmist here is talking more about our individual relationship. He's not as much talking about the community of faith that God has given us. So I want to want to clarify that, but I believe the psalmist is dealing with here, you need to be single-minded. I will follow the Lord no matter what. He will be my sustenance, and it's possible He would sustain you through someone in the church. He will uphold me, and it's possible He would use someone in the church to uphold you. Just like Moses. God provided men to hold his hands up. So it's not discounting that fact, but they are running to the Lord. The Lord is their source. And then God brings sustenance through his provided means. Sometimes it can be unbelievers giving you a financial gift you did not expect, which I have experienced. But God will provide when we hope in Him and trust in His Word. But if we are not committed, single-heartedly committed to obeying the Word of God and to loving Him, we will not be sustained and we will not be upheld. And you say, oh, how can you say that? Because this is what the psalmist says in 118. You have rejected all those who wander from your statutes. If God's word is not our single-hearted devotion, we, and why, again, single-hearted devotion to God's word is single-hearted devotion to God himself. Why? Because we love Him. And so if we are not devoted to God and His Word single-heartedly, we will be rejected. This is why we must be men and women of the Word. Not elevating the Word above God because they are the words of God. But we love the Word because they are the words of God and they... Tell us how to have relationship with Him. How to please Him. How to glorify Him in our lives. Because that is our chief end. To glorify Him and to love Him. And he goes on. For their deceitfulness is useless. What is he saying? A literal translation is, for a lie is their deceitfulness. So the, the lies that they're telling are lies themselves. I know that sounds like double... But he's making a point. The imagery in the Hebrew is this idea that their lies are so bad that they believe the lie themselves. Their, their, their vanity that's why they're going astray because they're believing a lie that they're continuing to propagate wherever they go how many people do you know who are in a cult or even in a, in a church where the truth is no longer taught they believe what they're being taught or the, what they're teaching If they didn't, they wouldn't be there. Right? I would hope. Unfortunately, we think that people are okay when they're in a cult or... or, well maybe they maybe they've just been deceived and there's yes, they've been deceived and they believe the lie. That's why the only way they're going to get out is if God opens their eyes. Whatever it may be, whatever they're believing. We can argue till we're blue in the face, but unless God opens the eyes of the lost and the, the deceived, they will be rejected. And this rejection isn't the end, it's in verse 119, it says, You have removed all the wicked of the earth like dross. It's like a purifying process. God is removing the wicked like the dross that comes up as the silver or the gold ore is being heated. Clean off all that junk so we can get to the pure. You don't want to be in that number who are rejected and, and wiped or removed. Right? Remember, he's again contrasting himself and those who are single-hearted with those who are double-hearted. Those who cannot come to a decision. Those who are evildoers. Those who are wanderers. Those who... Who are wicked? So what does he do? In light of the fact that God is rejecting those who wander from the statutes of God, and he's removing the wicked, those who do wickedly, or unrighteously, he he says, "I love, I love your testimonies. I don't just do them; I love them." But right? We see this this distinction. Those who are double-hearted, they're doing evil. They're they're wicked in in their minds. They're wandering away. They're they're. They're not waiting on the Lord. And then you see him. Here he is single-hearted. He's loving the Word and the Lord. He's conserving or doing the Word. Observing the Word. He's making the Word and the Lord Himself a refuge and a place of hope. And he's focusing on it. He's gazing. He's putting his attention on the Word so that he can keep it. You see this contrast. The committed to the Lord and the uncommitted. Those who are trying to play both sides of the fence. Compromise in the church is not possible. We can't compromise truth. I heard a pretty well-known psychologist this week talking about the Bible. It's interesting, this guy is not a believer yet, but as the psalmist, as Jesus said, he's not far from the truth. He's talking about how the Bible is the source of all writing in the English language. The first book in English ever published was the Bible. And so, if you took the Bible away, you can't understand any of the books that are written after it. Because they're all affected by the first book. I was like, "That's so interesting," and he was talking about, um, you know, just like if you took out the work of Shakespeare and then tried to understand much writing after that, you can't do. And so he said, "The pre," he said, he said, "The Bible's not truth." Wait a minute, he says it is the precondition to truth. It's truer than true. I was like. Wow, this is You sure you're not a He's very very close, right? It is the precondition for truth. It is the source of truth. But the problem is as believers, we don't act like it all the time. Because we're compromising. We're we're willing to step outside of God's protection and his provision for our life and look elsewhere. God is saying, return to the Word. Follow me with a single heart. Keep your eyes on me. Love me. Love my Word. Obey me. Not because you have to, but because you want to, because you want to please me. And the psalmist ends. This could be good, or this could be bad. The world doesn't like this picture. But this is truth. This is the result of truth when it's revealed to us. He says, my flesh trembles for fear of you. It's actually in the Hebrew, it's very vivid. It says, My flesh gets goosebumps from dread of you. Or goose pimples for the, I don't know. Apparently, some people say that. (laughs) But his, you know that feeling sometimes? You just, maybe not a fear, but you just suddenly get goosebumps. Yeah, that's the whole idea. Like the fear, my my literal flesh, <clears throat> and maybe his spiritual flesh. Why would it fear him? Because judgment is coming, right? Because he says, "And I am afraid of your judgments." Why should we fear the Lord? Because God will do what He says. Period. He will either bless you or He will curse you. There's no. In between. You cannot play both sides and expect God's blessing on your life. It will not happen. I know this is kind of strong, but I believe it's what God has for us. God will judge the living and the dead in the last day. The question is where will He find you? Resting in the Lord, hiding in His wings, sustained by His word, upheld by Him? Or will you be found wallowing in sin, hanging out with sinners, not in the way to bring the truth? Because Jesus, right? He. Hung out with the publicans. He hang out he he spent time with those who needed the gospel. But is our constant company wicked men? Is that where God's gonna find us? At the bar? At the worst place? Don't even have to name. Hanging out on the wrong internet sites. Maybe he'll find us in the metaverse. If you know anything about that. Where are we going to be found? Are we going to be found standing on the Word? Mocked and ridiculed, likely? Or are we going to be those who found... Shelter outside of the garden of God. Judgment is coming. Have we committed ourselves to be single-hearted? Are we living daily as though God is everything to us? Or are we an undecided, double-hearted man or woman? We have to make a decision. I'll end with an analogy. Unfortunately, ladies, if you don't like football, this may not make total sense. But could you imagine a football game What if there was a Super Bowl and the quarterback for Team A was also the quarterback for Team B? How many think there would be a conflict of interest for that quarterback? If he was the quarterback, if Team A was your team, how would you feel when he started throwing better passes for Team B? doesn't work. But that's what many who claim Christ are doing today. We're trying to play for the Lord and we're trying to play for His enemies. We can't play both. We need to be uncompromising in the truth of God's Word and we need to make a commitment to live and to serve Him alone. Because if you are not living for Him alone, you're only playing for Team B. Right? God will only save those who have committed their lives to Him. Who have surrendered all to Him. Let's pray. Father, help us to make That commitment, if we haven't already. To recommit. To make a settled decision, Lord, to be single-hearted. To be uncompromising. Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for Your Word. And help us to begin to put into practice and to meditate on Your Word daily. Because, Lord, I know that when we do that, our delight and our love for Your Word will only increase. And our willingness to be sustained and to be upheld by You will only increase and our our hope will only increase encourage us i pray today Lord you are worthy to be praised you're worthy to be served with all of our lives help us to delight in your protection, your provision, and your strength daily. Guide us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.